Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by physical therapist and entrepreneur, Brian Smith. Brian graduated from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis with a Bachelor of Science and a Master's of Science in Physical Therapy. He is a physical therapist and the former owner of The Sideline, a physical therapy clinic and fitness center in downtown Martin. Brian is now Vice President for Compliance with Diamond Physical Therapy and is Clinic Director of the Martin location. Brian is a member of First Baptist Church in Martin, where he is a Sunday school teacher, children and youth leader, and member of the choir and praise team. Brian Smith is a board member of the Charger Foundation, Westview Quarterback Club, Jackson State Community College Physical Therapist Assistant Program, and a former board member of the Tennessee Physical Therapy Association. He is also an active youth sport coach in the community and has two children, Hayden and Kessley. Good morning, Brian, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So delighted to talk with you this morning and learn all about uh, your work history and what you have experienced in the world of physical therapy and all that you've done as a business owner and entrepreneur and where you are today. So let's begin with what is the first job you ever had? Well, my very first job was at a small convenience store here in Martin, Thompson's Grocery. I think everybody should have to work for the public at some point in their life. I think you should have to learn to deal with customers, uh, people who are upset with you about things over which you have zero control. So it was a great first job. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, so I worked on the farm. My dad and I mowed yards together, but that was my first job outside of a family. My first professional job uh, was with West, West Tennessee Healthcare. I worked at Jackson Madison County General Hospital in Jackson in an acute care setting for several months before transferring here to Martin um, to one of their outpatient clinics uh, known as Sports Plus Rehab Centers. And for your first professional job, were you doing physical therapy? Is that something you always knew you wanted to do? Somewhat. You know, um, I wasn't sure as a high school student what I wanted to do. thought maybe I wanted to be um, an engineer. And then my senior year of high school, I tore my ACL, realized that I hated math and that engineering was a disastrous plan for me. And through the rehab process, you know, found a love for uh, something that I wanted to turn into a career. And that was that was physical therapy. So you know, what I thought was the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my life as a high school athlete ended up uh, helping me find my career and my passion. So it was it was a blessing in disguise. Isn't that the truth? That happens so often. Well, of course, we don't wish terrible circumstances. And I'm sure that was really traumatic as a high school student, you know, loving sports and probably devoting a lot of your young life to playing sports and then having to do sort of an abrupt turnaround. It was. It was. Uh, it was a tough change. You know, my whole life I had, you know, dreamed about a basketball career in high school, and you know, possibly trying to play college ball. Um, I wasn't big enough or fast enough, but I didn't know that at the time. You know, so we all still have dreams, and uh, you know, every day when I would get home from school, as soon as my homework was done, I was in the driveway shooting basketball, and you know, my dad and I played one on one. My sister and I played one on one. Anybody in the neighborhood that would play, you know, that was what I did every day after school. So it was a tough adjustment for me. You know, I just uh, I, I remember at that time just thinking it was it was the end of, you know, that dream. And it wasn't. The dream just took on a much different uh, picture than what I had envisioned. You know, a lot of times there's so many different jobs in the world. And sometimes it's hard to know, you know, what our path forward is for whatever reason, where when we're young and high school and starting college. We think of, because we only come in contact with so many jobs, we think this is, this is what's available. And we don't maybe think about 
we're really good at until we go through experiences. So, and I've heard other people talk about experiencing um, physical therapy and wanting to go into either that specific profession or something healthcare related because the immense benefit that people experience, like the real everyday life benefit people experience from going through physical therapy. Yeah, you know, I don't think I had ever been exposed to physical therapy prior to my knee injury. I don't know that I even knew what it was or that it existed, really. You know, so I learned something new by that experience. And it is definitely a very rewarding profession. You know, you get to help patients get back to their previous level of function, whatever that may be. So, you know, for the young athlete, it's getting them back to the field of competition. You know, for an adult, it's getting them back to work, getting them back to playing with their kids. You know, one of my favorite stories, you know, that I learned about previous level of function. I had a, a grandmother who was rehabbing with me. And, you know, one of the things we do in the in the beginning is establish goals. And what does the patient want to accomplish through physical therapy? Well, her goal was to get to the point where she could go to Disney World with her grandchildren and outdo the other grandmother. She said, <laughs> as long as I'm not the first person to have to sit down on that park bench, I'm good, you know? <laughs> And so that was really enlightening to me just to help me see that everybody's got different goals depending on where they are in life. But that was a very specific goal that was important to her to not be outdone by the other grandmother. So, and she made it, you know, and it's always fulfilling to see a patient achieve their goal, no matter what that goal is. My son, Leo, when he was in sixth grade, he had a knee injury and uh, he went to physical therapy for uh, your, your former business sideline. And I thought, oh, you know, knee injury, this is just going to be the end of sports for him. But he went through rehab, he rebounded, and now he like sits with, sometimes he'll sit with his legs underneath him, almost like a, you know, like totally on top of his knees. And I think it's like it never happened. You know, it was so traumatic for me as a mama at the time and his knees were so large. And I thought, well, he will always have that. And then he played tennis at a high level all through high school and I think physical therapy is so interesting to me because many times I think there's these parallels in our life. If we think this terrible thing has happened to me and there's no getting back and there is through effort, right? It's, it's not a magic bullet. It's people have to put in effort and they go to somebody who can help them mentor them with their body. And if they put the effort in and commit there's a good, they're going to get mobility back or they're going to get some level. And as you said, we all have different goals. So helping people be realistic and then attain those goals. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something that's really important there because buy-in from the patient is really important to be successful in physical therapy. Uh, you know, I always jokingly say that teachers make the best patients in physical therapy. Um, I know you'll, you'll love that because, you know, teachers do everything we ask them to do. On the flip side of that, uh, you know, I'm going to step on my own toes and a lot of my colleagues' toes. Healthcare providers typically make the worst patients <laughs> because we don't do what we're told to do like teachers do. So, um, you know, the buy-in is definitely important because if a patient does what we ask them to do and you get compliance, then that's usually when you get your best outcomes. You know, and that is so true in just about everything. So, you know, my field is conflict management, and I'm very interested in leadership, excellent leadership, healthy work environments, and those only come about through intentionality. And leaders are only going to be good leaders because they're reflective and they're intentionally leading at a, at a high level. And somebody I was interacting with earlier this week mentioned that, you know, if leaders don't have empathy, if they don't have reflection, then they're not going to be able to achieve. And I said, yeah. But it's a skill and we can intentionally develop it or we can decide 
not to, but it's all about buy-in. So many things we really can learn. I mean, not everybody's going to be able to play basketball in the NBA, right? Most people are not going to be able to, but most people can play pickleball and and really enjoy themselves or uh, do, do something else that is very fulfilling if we buy in and then do the work to attain realistic goals. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's a conversation I have often with patients. And you've got to find something that you enjoy when it comes to exercise and recreational activities. You know, I think I think you've got to find something that you enjoy. Or I often tell patients, you got to find something that you loathe the least Uh, because (laughs) many of us don't enjoy exercise. Right. And if you hate it, you're probably not going to do it because most of us are just not disciplined enough to do that. But if you found something that you like or at least don't hate. You know, I think uh, usually we as humans are just going to be more successful. I think we're going to be more consistent. We're going to be more compliant. So I think you bring up a very important point there that you've got to find something. I had a conversation with a with a client this morning. Uh, she was going to play pickleball for the first time. Uh, so it's funny that you mentioned that. And she was so excited because she was a tennis player. She's you know, older now and really can't cover the entire tennis court, but pickleball is a great fit. And so she still gets that same fulfillment uh, or I believe she will. Um, and she was really excited about that. And it's, it's just neat to see, you know, how we evolve over time um, and how those interests realign with our physical uh, capabilities and, uh, and just our place in life. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian, so you operated physical therapy and gym for quite some time, 20 years. Is that about right? 20 years. That's right. 20 years. So what did you learn as being a leader, a business owner, about how to have a healthy work environment? Well, you know, I definitely learned a lot, um, you know, like all of us by uh, trial and error. But, you know, a few things that I learned over the years that I that I lived by, you know, one is when you smell smoke, you've got to go ahead and fight the fire then. If you wait until you've got a full-blown blaze, it's too late. By then, negativity, resentment, you know, so many uh, other damages have been done by that point in time. So, you know, I believe when you first sense a problem, you've got to go in and address it at the time. And I think everybody in the workplace is better off when you do that. It's often difficult. You know, I think as as humans, sometimes we have a tendency to just try to put our head down and avoid looking for the next shoe that's going to drop. You know, if I just don't think about it, maybe it won't happen. We don't go looking for trouble as a general rule, I don't think. And so it's it's a little conflicting of an approach. But I think when you first uh, sense any kind of an issue within the workplace, you've got to address it right then. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely the best policy. As you said, it's hard to do. And, you know, it depends on what the issue is and who the issue is with as to how long we let it simmer, hope it goes away. You know, if there's a family issue involved, if it's a friend, sometimes that can be hard or easy depending on the relationship. Yeah, you know, I've said for years, it's, I think it's much easier when an employee becomes a friend than it is for a friend to become an employee. Mm -hmm. And I've had good situations on both sides of that, but I've had some that were, were challenging. And more often than not, when it's a friend first that becomes an employee, I just think it's more challenging for sure. But, you know, I do think, I think managing uh, conflict up front is is really difficult. I think how you address it is really important. You know, I think as a leader, you've got to hear both sides of the story. You've got to gather all the facts. You've got to stay as unbiased as you can. And I think you've got to stay calm. 
you know, um, our business philosophy was always, you know, be like a duck. On the water, we're gliding smooth and steady, but underneath, we're paddling fast and furious. And I think that goes a long way to conflict management within the workplace when others can see that you as a leader are calm, even in the face of adversity. Absolutely. We want our leaders to be trustworthy. And if we have to deal with the emotional volatility of a leader, that means they're not trustworthy. That's right. And and as leaders, we're human. You know, mm-hmm. we are susceptible to emotion and, you know, fatigue and pain and everything just like everyone else is. But I do think that we are called to manage it differently. I just think it's, uh, I think it makes a difference when you're in a leadership role. Yeah. And because, as you mentioned, that is life. We have all these sorts of things that transpire in our personal lives, changes in in the work environment. And to stay calm or or to make those sorts of choices of being intentional, even when things are falling apart, so to speak, is speaks volumes to what other people can count on when they come to work, their work environment, because everyone deserves a healthy work environment. Absolutely. And, you know, when there's when there's other emotions, when there's negativity, bitterness, resentment in the workplace, it's unpleasant for everybody. You know, it's mm-hmm. a poison um, that spreads throughout the organization very, very rapidly. You know, one of the other lessons I learned from a, a friend who had been in um, who had been self-employed for several years ahead of myself. You know, she shared something with me one day. She said, you know, that that one employee that you think you just can't live without, you can. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, when an employee reaches the point where they think they want to leave or they are just filled with negativity and bitterness, they need to go mm-hmm. um, because there's very rarely a path forward from there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get back to a place where they were prior to all of those negative emotions. It's possible, but it's difficult. Uh, but that was a really valuable lesson um, because there were several times that I lost key employees that I just thought, um, you know, how we're going to do without this uh, person. It's going to be devastating to the business, to me personally. And it's always tough when you lose somebody in the workplace because employees become friends and you become a workplace family. And when someone leaves that family, it's really difficult. I dealt with it yesterday and it's just it's hard. It weighs heavy on you, you know. It is hard because we invest so much of ourselves in the places that we work, whether we are the owner, manager, or just one of the workers. I was just talking to a duo in England. They do change management. And change management is is the name of the game, right? You're constantly going through change, whether it's a new person coming in and how are they fitting into the group dynamic, which always shifts when a new person comes in, when a person goes out changes in the economy, changes, I'm sure you can deal with insurance all the time, all these sorts of changes. And then um, also your your business has changed, right? And helping uh, yourself go through that change and then everybody wanting to figure out what that means for them and what it means for their clients and what it means for their particular futures. You know, um, I tell everybody when I was when I was a kid, my mother rearranged the living room furniture uh, at least once a month, if not more often. Uh, my dad used to joke that when he would come in from work at night, he had to turn around and look and make sure his recliner was still in the same spot so he wouldn't fall to the floor when he went to sit down. <laughs> so I think I was conditioned to embrace change. I love change. I thrive on change. And sometimes it's not a change that we desire or would have chosen, but change energizes me. And it is amazing how one employee entering the workplace or exiting the workplace, how much of a difference it can make in the workplace dynamics. It's just an instant change. Absolutely. Will you tell us about 
one of your best work experiences where you learned a lot from either a person, a colleague, a mentor, an organization, how it was run? Wow. All right. So um, I have I have a ton. Um, I have been really blessed with a lot of great mentors from my very first you know, mentor um, to right up until recently, you know, right now I'm getting the opportunity to be mentored by some of my former students that I've come full circle with. So, some are former employees, some are former students, and I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. But it's 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 really unique, you know, to come through that full cycle. But one of my mentors, you know, early on in my career, he was my first supervisor. And when I was changing jobs for the first time ever in my professional role, I was really conflicted. I loved my job, loved my coworkers, but I was approached by another employer multiple times and they finally just made an offer that I could not refuse. Um, it was just ridiculous if I refused it. So I accepted the job. And when I met with my supervisor to submit my resignation, he was so kind and so gracious. So many things that I envisioned that moment might be like. It was nothing like that. And I will never forget the way that he treated me right there in that moment. And every day after that, until my employment um, was completed, and then throughout my professional career, when I would see him, um, you know, I could still rely on him as a mentor. I could still rely on him as a friend. He passed away a few years ago. And I just remember sitting there at his funeral, you know, just reflecting on how graciously he treated me in that moment and all the moments thereafter. And how different it could have been. Many colleagues and coworkers warned me. They said, you know, when you submit your resignation, you're going to work for a competitor. You will probably be escorted off the premises immediately. You will probably be asked to pack all of your belongings. You know, once you submit this resignation, you're probably done. And even if that had happened, that wouldn't necessarily have been wrong. I still could have been, you know, treated with respect and kindness, even if that happened. But that did not happen. And I was also treated with great kindness. And, uh, you know, I'll just never forget how easy he made that for me. Well, that's beautiful. What a gift, you know, absolutely how, how people respond to us when we disappoint them, how we respond to other people when we're disappointed in particular, when we're disappointed because the other person's going off to something that is good for them, but the disappointment of, I really love this person. I love working with this person. They add so much. And now there's going to be a hole, which is a a reality when we lose those people we really enjoy working with. But to be treated with that, I mean, that's, that's real care when you're actually caring about people and not simply the business. Businesses are important to care about, but we ought to care about people more and, and to show that to you. That's, that's really a gift. Well, and it was, it was neat too, how, how that, interaction started. Um, so his office was in Jackson and and the clinic I was working for with West Tennessee Healthcare was located here in Martin. So I had scheduled a meeting with him and was driving to Jackson because I wanted to tell him firsthand. I did not want him to hear it secondhand. Unfortunately, it did get out. I, I talked with my tight circle of coworkers first in case I was escorted off the property, left immediately to go talk to him. And one of my coworkers did give him a heads up. So he called me because he knew the anxiety that I was probably feeling and just the guilt and the gamut of emotions. And so he called me while I was on my way and he said, look, I I know what the meeting's about and it's okay. It's going to be fine. He said, don't rush because I was trying to hurry and get from telling my close circle to tell him before anybody could tell him. And he just said, look, don't rush. You know, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to worry. Just slow down. And when you get here, you get here and we'll talk and everything's going to be fine. 
And just, you know, the way that he opened that door and started that interaction was huge as well. Not just the way that he finished it or followed through with it. You know, that's one moment in time. That's half of a day in your life and his life. And you and you carry that with you to this day. And you were thinking about it as at his funeral. And for him, that was probably business as usual another day because he was acting out of his character. Right? Yeah. And it was huge to me, though. Right. Absolutely. The impact that we can have on other people if we really practice this sort of character leadership, servant leadership, however we want to talk about it, but really developing who you are as someone who cares, is concerned about others. For him, I imagine it really was just another day because this is who he is. This is what he's going to do. And yet for you, this this lesson, which is a lesson to us all about every interaction we have with people, in particular when they're in crisis, can ricochet through the rest of their life. And then how many people that you have interacted with in your business for 20 plus years, how that has then benefited them from your experience? You know, the, it's funny that you mentioned that because recently I had the opportunity to go back and apologize to an employee that I supervised very early in my career, four times that I didn't treat her like he treated me. And I didn't even realize that, you know, I was young and energetic and gung-ho and driven and, you know, so many other things that aren't necessarily bad. But I look back and I regret the way that I treated her as a human, as a coworker. I didn't intentionally treat her bad, but my leadership style was uh, weak. I was inexperienced and I had the chance to go back and apologize to her recently. And that felt so good uh, to be able to get that off my back and just say, look, I, you know, I, I should have been better. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I have learned over the years. I wish I would have been the leader then that I later became and I'm still becoming because I'm still learning and still progressing. Uh, but early on in my career, I look back and think, oh, gosh, what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> we all have to start somewhere. And, and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as you said, you know, leadership or just personal development is ongoing, right? Is we hope to be better tomorrow than we were today. We hope to continue to learn. And as we learn, then we can reflect on when we were less than stellar or how we would not have endorsed that behavior. And then we do have the opportunities, as you did, to, to make it right. And sometimes the other person doesn't even know they didn't feel it. Of course, sometimes they did feel it. So Brian, can you tell us about a time that you experienced conflict in the workplace and what was it about and why was it difficult for you and how did you handle it? There have been several difficult situations to manage as an employer and as a supervisor. You know, one in particular that really stands out that was really difficult was a relationship between two coworkers. Um, it was, you know, extramarital relationship for both of them. And it was just, it was very difficult to manage. Um, at that time, we were a, a small organization, smaller than, than what we eventually became. So we're really, you know, a close-knit group. There were social connections outside of the workplace as well. And I felt really unprepared, um, you know, really inept at how to handle the situation. But again, when, you know, that this was where I fell back to, all right, you, you sense a problem, you smell smoke, you've, you've got to address this. It was probably the most uncomfortable one that I've ever had to address. Uh, one of those where you really want to just put your head down and hope that it goes away and hope that it's uh, not existent. Um, but that wasn't the case. And so I did, you know, confront both employees. It led to good conversation. It started tense, no doubt, but it did lead to a good conversation. You know, it 
it did lead to a resolution as well. And it was, I'm glad I addressed it when I did as uncomfortable as it was because it had started to permeate throughout the organization. It was starting to become a poison within the organization. And, you know, it, it definitely took some time to recover from that um, relationship wise with, with both employees, both as employees and as friends, it just took some time to recover, but it was, it was definitely difficult to, to address, but I'm certainly glad that I did it when I did it. I think very rarely do we regret doing those hard things because what's the alternative, you know, letting the poison spread. Absolutely. You know, I think, uh, I think things like that, you know, just to spread when they're not addressed, you know, I read once that uh, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And I love that. I love that quote. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's also a lot of power personal power in addressing situations. Because many times when, as you said, you felt unprepared, many of us would feel unprepared in that circumstance. And it is a disempowering place to be. What am I supposed to do? What is the path forward? But when we act, even if you get a hard no, at least you're moving forward. You're taking steps to resolve the situation instead of in a way being held hostage or simmering in this uncertainty. And when we even getting that no is, it can be powerful in the sense of, okay, now I get to decide the next thing to do. But it's about looking at the situation and saying, I don't have to wait for them to go away or for somebody else, but I can decide what my boundaries are, what's permissible here and have these conversations and then decide the next step. Yeah, there's definitely empowerment, um, you know, to being able to to have a choice and and decide how you want to move forward. Even if, like you say, you get a no or you run into a wall, at least you had the opportunity to try and do something rather than sit back and feel helpless and powerless um, and, you know, to feel bound by whatever the issue is. You know, I learned a great example from my son when he was in the second grade, you know, about empowerment. You know, he was being bullied by someone and because he felt helpless, he didn't feel empowered to handle it because he, you know, feared consequences. If he addressed it himself, he had tried to, you know, allow teachers and others to, to handle it, but uh, it was, it was occurring under uh, circumstances where the teachers really couldn't address it. So, you know, I had a conversation with the teacher. I had a conversation with him and we gave him choices on how to handle it. And it was just amazing to see how he just came set free from this burden because he had empowerment and he had a choice now to be able to address it and move forward and not have to just sit back and like you say, wait on someone else to address it. And it was really amazing just to see that instant change in his temperament and um, you know dis- disposition all around. Oh, that's such a wonderful example. And don't we want that for our children? We want our part of our jobs as as parents, educators, is to help them be independent persons who have self-efficacy that can make decisions for their good in the world, right? To be good citizens and to have healthy, flourishing lives. But if we don't enable and equip and teach them how to deal with conflict, then we are doing them a disservice. Absolutely. Because conflict is inevitable. You know, like you said, and so we've got to teach them to deal with it, not run from it or avoid it. We have to teach our young people how to deal with conflict. 
And I imagine if all the people that you've supervised, that conflict in a work environment, conflict is not bad. It's the unmanaged conflict. But conflict is good in the sense of, I think we should do this. No, I think we should do that. And if you have a healthy work environment, you can take the best of the ideas present to get something better than, right? Better than whatever was doing in my mind. I get to, suppose you want to put together a 5K. And if it's only going off of your experiences, it'll be fine. But if you get the benefit of everybody else and what they've seen and they've experienced, that means there's going to be some conflict. Well, I think we should do this, or I think we should do that. It's going to be better at the end. Yeah. Some of the best ideas and best practices that I've had didn't come from me. You know, they came from other people, their ideas and their input, you know, uh, a collaboration of all of us. Uh, and I've always said for years, it's, it's not necessarily my way or the highway. It is whatever our policy is. And our policy is, is constantly evolving based on input that I get from employees, from mentors, you know, from outside sources. So it's not my way or the highway. It's our policy's way. But like I said, it was it has always been constantly changing. And I think that's a good thing. And I do think it's great when employees can have that empowerment to have some input and say, well, this is our policy or this is our procedure on this, but wouldn't this be a better way? Or I've seen someone else do this with success. And I think when they get to have that input, I think it's just a healthy um, situation in the workplace for everybody. Absolutely. Everybody benefits. So Brian, we tell us a little bit about the transition that you have recently had from being a business owner in Sidelines in Martin, which is this wonderful physical therapy and gym, to being part of a larger organization in, in West Tennessee, Dynamics. Dynamics, that's right. Yes. How has that been, the transition from being the owner and the boss to working for other people? You know, when I was first approached with this opportunity, I was really concerned about that. Um, you know, I love private practice. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Really didn't realize that early on in my career until I had the opportunity, you know, to open a private practice and something really came alive in me that I didn't know existed um, and that uh, of being an entrepreneur and establishing that business from the ground up, watching it grow over 20 years, all of the lives that we got to impact and the things that we got to be a part of. I, it was so rewarding and fulfilling. And so I was really concerned about that. You know, can I lay that aside? And instead of being the employer, can I become an employee? And it's been a great transition. I'm so grateful for it. I didn't go looking for it and really tried my best to find a way to resist it because I thought I wanted to be self-employed until, you know, the day I retire or die, whichever comes first. But, um, you know, through some good friends, some mentors, you know, I was able to see the the benefit of, of a potential merger or acquisition and just started kind of weighing out the pros and the cons. And in the end, you know, it it was the right thing to do. It was a difficult decision. It really was. And a lot of people questioned me on it. You know, the question I, I would often get was, why? Why would you do that? You have a successful business. You've got a track record over 20 years. You know, and so the question was was often why, but by the time others started asking me why, I was well beyond the question. I had already established the why in my mind, and there were so many reasons for doing it. So it's been a good transition. It's taken a huge administrative burden off of my shoulders. It has allowed me to get back to focusing more on patient care, which is the reason I got into the profession to begin with. The sideline had grown so much that I felt really conflicted and torn between my role as a healthcare provider and that of a business owner. 
And really, we have progressed to a point where I needed to either be a full-time administrator or I needed to hire a full-time administrator so that I could focus more on patient care. And so this has allowed me to do that. And I'm really grateful for it. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, it, it seems like such an interesting transition to go you know, from what, as you said, a successful business of 20 years. And yet this is a wonderful West Tennessee, or that's one thing I love about it, it's this West Tennessee organization. And so it's still local. Local is wonderful. It is very much local. You know, and I mentioned that I, I have come full circle and being mentored by some former students. You know, the two owners of Dynamics are two of my friends. One is a former student and employee. The other is a former patient and employee. One was in my wedding. So they're two people that I know very, very well. You know, so I jokingly say that uh, two of my former students are now my employers. Um, <laughs> um, so, but it's been really neat to come full circle and they are definitely um, local. You know, one of them was working for me when they opened their first location in Milan. I got to watch them do that and provide some input and, um, you know, kind of have a front row seat to them opening that first location. And it was really neat to watch that uh, and to see it grow over the years. You know, Dynamics now has 16 locations and and still growing. Um, so it's become a very large organization. I'm very proud of them and what they have, uh, have, have accomplished and very grateful to have an opportunity to work with them again. That's wonderful. Brian, before we leave, if you could give us a little insight into what you have seen as best practices for coaches, because I know you interact with a lot of uh, local sports teams, being on the on the sideline and, and uh, being there in case there's injury or anything else, and with other patients, I'm sure, as they're being rehabbed. And I'm sure you've seen all different kinds of coaches, all different kinds of styles, and many times we are familiar with <laughs> what I would think is bad coaching, which is the yelling or berating, you know. But what kind of coaching have you witnessed that really powerfully impacts players, both their physical performance and how they feel about themselves? You know, I think when a coach connects with the players um, as a person, when they treat them like family, they treat them like they would their own kids. I think that's the best recipe for success for that individual athlete and for the team. And I've been able to witness it firsthand, you know, many times. I think players in most circumstances respect their coach. They don't always necessarily like their coach and maybe they don't like them on the court, but they like them off the court or outside of the the competition area. But I think when they respect their coach and they like their coach, I think that's the, the best scenario. So, you know, a few years ago, um, there was a picture of, of a coach locally. He is a friend of mine. But after um, winning a big game at the state tournament for basketball, a player came off the court. And as she came off the court, she just embraced him in a really big hug. And somebody got a picture of that moment and posted it and said, this is why. And I agree with that so much. Those relationships that he has built with his players, I think, is a huge part of their repeated success year in and year out. They may not always like him. I get that. You know, there were times I didn't really like my coach. Um, as a young athlete, you don't necessarily like conditioning and you don't like all the things um, that they do to push you and to help you achieve. But there are life lessons that you need to learn. And you can usually see the benefit and respect the coach for it. But when you can build those relationships and the coach can invest in you as a person, I think that's best case scenario. I got to see that with my own son. Um, he had several coaches who really connected with him and invested in him as a person. 
Yes, they pushed him hard and rightfully so. You know, when he needed to be corrected, they corrected him. But they invested in him. They connected with him. And, you know, I think it built something that will last a lifetime for him, not just with athletics, but um, more importantly, with with life, with self-discipline, perseverance, confidence, you know, all of those things that you can gain through athletics. Absolutely. And I see so many parallels between what it means to be a good leader, right? As we transition from our younger years and uh, maybe the, the the parent metaphor, which I think is appropriate for youngers, but, but when we get older and maybe that's not as appropriate anymore because we are peers, because we're adults, but that respect and speaking into somebody's life and a good leader is a kind leader, but a kind leader pushes people appropriately. It tells them when things aren't going right, tells them when things are going well, and gets to know them appropriately, but speaks into into their life. And we're so willing to go the extra mile because it also, you said confidence, that's so important as we develop as persons in, in our careers and in our life, the more confidence we get, and a lot of times the confidence can come because somebody is trusting us and they're investing in us and they are appropriately training us, but they're not micromanaging us. And then they're not hands off, but it's that allowing us to make mistakes and to fail, but they're there. And that confidence is so key to doing excellent work. Yeah. you mentioned something there that I think is really important. You know, it's it, it failing to, address a weakness or a conflict or something that's that's not necessarily kindness Mm -hmm. you know we all need to have someone who can speak truth into our lives and who can point out um you know things that maybe we need to improve on or where we have failed in addition to praising us and lifting us up you know kindness is also helping us where we need help Um, and i think that's a really important uh, point and i think it's part of gaining confidence you know as we address our own weaknesses and we acknowledge them that's confidence if we don't then it's uh you know i think it's uh weak self-awareness and it's not necessarily confidence you know i think it's i don't know what the word i'm looking for there is but but you have uh you don't have the self-awareness that you ought to have to be confident you know what i'm saying yeah and i think that's how you know how do we why do we respect leaders And part of it is we respect people who tell us the truth, tell us in the right way at the right time for the right motivations. So there's the there's the right way to tell the truth and the wrong way to tell the truth. Right. We can be rude. We can be hurtful when we say it or we can say it in a way that is straightforward, not sugarcoated. I'm not a fan of the tough conversation sandwich where it's you're so fantastic you are terrible at this you're so fantastic i I think we should tell people they're fantastic all the time because more than not people are doing really excellent work and when there's something difficult we say hey this is something we need to address let's talk about it how do we move forward what do you need this is what i need let's move forward right because we are adults and we need to not expect our coworkers, the people that uh, we manage to be emotionally frail But that's actually one way to keep people down in their emotional intelligence by not allowing them to experience the truth of how they're actually doing. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that that I think I've struggled with the most throughout my career is just remembering to point out the positives and the good things, because as leaders, we're often forced to address the negative, right? Mm -hmm. We have to do that. Mm -hmm. But you have to seek opportunities, I think, to point out the positives. And that's something I'm constantly challenging myself to do better as just let people know when they're doing great and when they're appreciated. Yeah, because I think as leaders, or just anybody, we say in our head, like we think, oh, that person's doing this. It's just 
articulating. But when someone says something specific to us about our work, it it just feels. And we remember how we feel around people. We remember how they treat us much more than just about anything else. And that's being seen and being acknowledged and really feeling valued. And sometimes people say, oh, you're doing your job, your value, you know, you're, you see your value, but you get your paycheck. Yeah, but we're not computers, we're persons. And that's just not how persons operate. Yeah, you know, consistently meeting the minimum expectations of your job description is something, right? That's <laughs> that's noteworthy because not everybody can or does do that. That's right. Not um, everybody shows up to every shift or on time. <laughs> that's exactly right, especially not in this day and time. Right. So I'd like to end the podcast with your vision for a healthy work environment. You've got a couple of kids and they'll be out in the world of work. And so... If you think out 10 years and your kids are doing something in the world, what do you hope they encounter so that they are not only treated with dignity and respect, but they're encouraged to thrive? What do you think needs to happen in the world of work culture in general? Wow. Um, Well, I think there's got to be accountability because I think generationally we are gradually letting go of accountability. You know, we want to tell everybody they're great. And um, we as individuals, you know, I think uh, over time are taking less and less accountability for our own actions. So I think there's got to be accountability, both from the employee and the employer. That's one thing I would love to see for both of my children to, uh, to, to, uh, to get to experience is accountability in the workplace. You know, I think there's, there's got to be strong leadership. You know, I think that's something else that, um, that we, sometimes viewed as a negative, a strong leader, I think is sometimes viewed as a negative. They're viewed as mean, um, disrespectful, unkind, because they do speak the truth. And as you mentioned earlier, there's a right and wrong way to speak the truth. We can do that with kindness and respect and you can choose to not do it that way. But, uh, you know, I hope there is, I hope there's strong leadership and I hope that strong leadership includes addressing both positive and negative um, behaviors, like you mentioned earlier. You know, I hope there is uh, camaraderie. I hope there is a, a family atmosphere to wherever they work, whatever workplace they are in. Because, you know, as you we've all heard many times, when you love your work, work is not work. And I think having a family style atmosphere, coworkers that you can connect with, coworkers that you can count on and believe in, I think that makes the work experience more likable and lovable and makes work so much less like work. So I think those are those are three key elements that I I really want to want to see for them. You know, all of the the things that um, you know that typically come with the workplace. You want to see opportunity for advancement. You want to see opportunities for self improvement as a person and as a professional. You know, I think all of those things go without saying. But you know, I think accountability and I think strong leadership and then I think that family style connection to your coworkers. I just I think those are so valuable. You know, there's so much talk today about, you know, like, oh, dreading Monday or it, how we think about our work environments is because a lot of them aren't positive. There aren't positive places. There's a lot of shenanigans that aren't called out. Uh, people get promoted and, and they don't have the requisite people skills. And I really do think a lot of that, that leadership, accountability and a collegial environment takes it sustained intentionality. And I think we as a culture need to really think about how do we bring that about? Because it's not an accident. A healthy work environment is carefully 
curated and constantly intentionally maintained or else as we know everything falls apart like our bodies right (laughs) that's exactly right yeah i tell my patients all the time when it comes to strength mobility and balance you know we are gradually losing them if you don't uh, if you don't use them you lose them Um, if you train them they do improve and you're 100 right you know the workplace is very much like that uh it a positive work environment doesn't happen by accident it doesn't happen by keeping your head down and trying to avoid looking looking around it definitely happens with intentionality just like you say maintaining our bodies very uh, similar yeah well brian thank you so much for your time it's been so fun talking with you yeah i've really enjoyed the conversation i appreciate you having me on this morning Brian, thank you so much for being on Conflict Managed. I really enjoyed your insights and your encouragement to all of us that as soon as we see a conflict brewing, that we ought to take steps so that we can deal with it early, often, swiftly, and justly. My new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, is now out and available worldwide on Amazon. It's a look at what not to do in the office, and best practices to move forward so we can all have a healthy work environment. I hope you check it out. Also, if there's someone you would like to hear me interview on Conflict Managed, please let us know. You can find us at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. We have new episodes every Tuesday, so come back. We'd love to have you be a part of our community. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.